And we're recording. So uh, I want to just pick it up at, at the last half of, ch of chapter 5, verse 16, uh, and then read through the end of the chapter, which is the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed earnestly, and it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. My brothers, if one, and I'm going to say the word among you, should wander or be led astray uh, from the truth, the belief and practice and conviction of, of what God's word says, that, that someone should bring him uh, back. Remember this, that whoever... Uh, turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. All right. So uh, we want to talk just briefly, uh, touch on the issue of uh, this idea of a righteous, uh, what is a righteous person? Uh, it's said that, uh, that Elijah was a righteous person. I look at some of the things he was able to accomplish. Boy, that's a whole lot more than what I think I could accomplish. But here's the, here's the definition, I think, of righteousness. To be righteous is to live a life centered upon the Word of God. Uh, it's not sinless perfection, but it's 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 mercy that typifies His life, mercy and grace. So the issue here is a a person who will intercede, a righteous person who intercedes on the behalf of not only themselves but also for others in obedience to God's Word. It says the prayer of a righteous person is both powerful and effective. And um, I think that there's a potential in a potency in righteous in, in prayer that we often forget and miss. Um, healing is just part of the intercessory role that I think the, uh, a believer is called to be a part of. Uh, and an intercessor must trust the will of God that whatever happens is done as the result of God's will. Uh, I'm reminded of, of, of um, you know, again, we talk about Elijah, and if you want to read the, the story of Elijah, specifically 1 Kings 17 and 18 is where you'll find that. Um, but what I find fascinating is, remember, we, ta we talked about this when we did the overview of, of the Old Testament a number of years ago. We talked about the fact that the first time... Is everyone getting about, Val broken up? Oh, yeah. Val? Yeah. Yes. Val? Yeah. Val. Yeah. You sound like you're up. made out of metal. Well, <laughs> you're bouncing around. Yeah. I'm the tin man. That's right. I don't know what to do other than to uh, hope that it gets better. Let's see. Sounds better. No, it's just sometimes you freeze and that's all. And then we hear okay. about it. <clears throat> well, uh, if you remember, we talked about old, the Old Testament, an overview of the Old Testament. We talked about the first five books of the Bible and, and what we call the Pentateuch, or we call the law, or we call the Torah. Uh, another way of describing that is this is the way we're supposed to live. This is how you live. Uh, and in Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy is very clear about, and, and I've said this about the Pentateuch in general, the Pentateuch tells us how to live. It tells us what will happen when we live correctly. It also tells us what we will what will happen if we live incorrectly. And the prophets tell us, okay, you failed to live how you were supposed to live. Now here's the punishments, which is what God lays out specifically uh, among other places, Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
in the first part of the chapter, it says uh, in the first uh, 12, 15 verses, it says, uh, here are the blessings, <clears throat> here are the promises I give you. And especially in verse 12, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord will open the heavens and storehouse of his bounty and send rain on your land in season and bless all the works of your hand and you will lend to many nations and will borrow from none. It goes on to say a whole lot of other things, but think about the fact specifically there with Elijah, God sends rain. <clears throat> in Deuteronomy 28 verse 23, it's dealing with the curses, the things that will happen if we fail to be obedient to God. And verse 23 says, the sky over your head will be bronze and the ground beneath you iron. In other words, you won't be able to grow a thing. And it goes on to say uh, in verse 58, it says, if you do not uh, if you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are Everybody written in the book. Yep. Yeah. 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 Again. Okay. Uh, can you still yep. hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. we just... It's just when you sometimes start and then we lose you, you freeze up and we hear Deuteronomy 23 and then it's kind of phased. Kind of ended? All right. yeah. so Deuteronomy... It's when you, wax, when you wax eloquent right at the punchline. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, that's, that's somebody that said my internet is unstable now all of a sudden. Yeah, um, I was getting that too, Val. I just shut down a bunch of my browser and email and things that would tie up my bandwidth. I don't know if that might help you. I don't know how much stuff you got open. I got a bunch. Let's do this while we're talking. I'm going to shut down a bunch of stuff. Don't close, don't close us down, though. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying that, too. There we <laughs> go. Maybe that's better. Let's see. It does sound better. All right. So in verse 23, it says it talks about the fact that our sky over, over our head will be bronze and the ground beneath you iron. This is if you're in disobedience to God. And in verse, I went over to verse 58, where it says, if you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book and do not re revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord, your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and descend in your descendants in harsh and prolonged diseases and severe and lingering illnesses. He goes on. There's a whole list of anal texts. All of the plagues of Egypt are going to be poured out on you. And it talks about the fact that the, Israelite will, the Israelites will be scattered among the nations. All these things happen as a result of their disobedience. So uh, remember that God can provide rain and can provide no rain. And God can, if we're faithful to him, God says he will bless us. He says that he will bring punishment in order to correct our sins if we are not faithful to him. So I wanted to get that done and out of the way, talk about the fact that I think today we do need blessing. And I, I, I said this kind of semi-correctly, and, and I, uh, this is a quote from a guy by the name of Robert Law. He says, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. It's getting God's will done on earth. So you can't separate God's word and prayer, for his word gives us the promises that we can claim when we pray, which is kind of great. And I love the fact that God gives us a lot of promises. And by the way, if you don't do this, when you come across a promise in God's word, may I suggest you do what Tom does, which is journal and 
jot down those promises. Make a list someplace in a, in a book and just keep a list of the promises and, and the verses where you find them. Because you will find that when you pray, you can claim those promises. So uh, we pray that that will be the case. You know, history, there's a tremendous amount of prayer that's made available through, a, through God's, a good man's earnest prayer. By the way, that's a, it's a quote from, from, from James 5.16, but it's from the Phillips translation. And uh, in, in his notes, he goes on to say, history shows that how mankind has progressed from manpower to horsepower and then to dynamite and TNT and now atomic power. And he says, the great, but greater than atomic power is, is the power of prayer. It ought to be the first and foremost responsibility of us to pray for our government leaders. And the quote would be, the passage would be, uh, among, besides Romans, First uh, Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3. All right, so I want to jump from there. And I covered a lot of this last week, so let me get to my next section. Here we go. So we this last couple of verses, verses 19 and 20, we're told to, to basically pray for those who are straying. Uh, if one of you wanders from the truth, uh, he's, uh, he's in, implying that there is a possibility of backsliding, of wandering, which is, again, gradually moving away from the will of God. Um, the Old Testament term is black backsliding. We use sometimes we talk about uh, Galatians six one when someone is overtaken with a fault. It's usually uh, sin is is the result of slow and gradual spiritual decline. Usually we don't fall off a cliff if we've been a Christian for a while, but we let little things start to invade us. Maybe we stop praying. Maybe we stop studying Scripture. Maybe we stop uh, fellowshipping. Uh, maybe we stop uh, being obedient to God in our giving. Uh, whatever the case may be, uh, maybe we start doing things that are inappropriate. We start off gradual, but it gets worse and worse. That's the, the danger that we have, not only of individuals, but even as a church. Because I talk about the, the we wander from the truth, and what's the truth? Do I hear a, a word? What's the truth? Jesus. Yeah. John, John 17 says, thy word is truth. Now he's speaking of both, I think, double meaning there. The word being the living word, which is the word of, which is Christ. And then the word from Christ, the word from God, the word of the Bible, the word of God, is the word of truth as well. And we need to be careful that we take care. We pay real close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from the truth of the word, which is uh, from Hebrews 2.1. And the outcome of wandering this, this sin is the possibility of death. In fact, remember 1 Corinthians, which we're going to get there when we start talking about communion. It says that many of you are si sick and some of you have fallen asleep, which is euphemism for death, um, because you have sinned. So it's possible to sin. A sin unto death. If you're still alive, you haven't done it yet. Just thought I'd let you know that, in case you were wondering. Have any of you committed the sin unto death? Anybody Anybody dead? Want to raise your hand? No one wants to raise your hand. Okay, so you're still alive. Right. <laughs> we're on our way out, though. <laughs> on our way out. Okay. 
Now, <clears throat> is it possible? It says it talks about this. <clears throat> excuse me, a frog in my throat all of a sudden here. <clears throat> we'll go back to don't uh, eat fr don't eat frogs. All right. Um, it says to bring him back uh, from the truth. Someone who should bring him back. Remember those who, who have sinned from the error of, to turn somebody from the sin from the error of their way. Another word, another translation is to convert them. The idea here is um, the question that some asked is this, that is it possible for a believer that they need to be converted? Well, I'll say this, that Peter, that Jesus says to Peter in Luke 22, verse 32, he talks about Peter. He talks about some of the issues that Peter's going to be dealing with between the time that they're in the garden and the time that they're at the Last Supper and the time that they're at the cross. And, and P, John, uh, Jesus says to Peter, he says, when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. Uh, so there is a possibility that sometimes when you continue Maybe we can think of it this way. It's the idea of sanctification, where it's a process. Yes, we are fully saved, but we're not fully saved in the sense that we have a long way to go before we're, we're perfect, before we're what God wants us to be. And that process we talk about as being sanctif sanctification. So we have been proclaimed saved. We're in the process of being saved, and we will eventually be fully saved when uh, when we uh, when we see Christ so what's this idea of covering a multitude of sins Peter says that uh, uh, that love can conquer a multitude of sins Proverbs 10 12 says hate stirs up strife but love covers sin does that mean we're supposed to sweep sin under the carpet no no well then what what does it mean well, look, if, they're going to sin. They're going to sin less. They're going to sin less. Okay, so they're sinless. No, sin less. Sin less. Oh, okay. So, so well, you to say it, it's the we have to believe that some of us, some of you, have more faith than me, more knowledge of uh, or better, closer relationship to the Lord. He says, if somebody knows about a brother that is starting uh, oh a gospel prosperity i'm gonna heal everybody all that kind of stuff he turns away from the truth you know what is the truth we discovered it's jesus mm -hmm. he might wander to another area you know when there were the talk of the new age movement for instance stuff like that if this brother can talk to the other brother and through talking, the brother realize, oh, I'm going to far left and I'm erring, I'm doing wrong. That doesn't mean he's dying. Uh, if he continues, he might, you know, yeah. because he says, uh, you save, save your soul from a multitude of sin. Mm -hmm. That's so, where I. Okay, so what happens when we find someone who has sinned and they confess their sin? What happens after the confession? 
There's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Who forgives? Lord. Number one, it should be the Lord. Number two okay. should be me. Okay. All right. So, so think about it from a physical standpoint or from a from a, a, an earthly standpoint. When when someone sins, we say that there's and they they confess their sins and they truly mean it. By the way, which means that they are actively. It's not just going there and saying, "Hey, forgive me," and then you go out and do it again. Right? We're not talking about that. We're talking somebody somebody who truly repents and truly confesses and moves away from their sin through the power of the Holy Spirit because it can't be done by ourselves. So what are we, what's supposed to happen to those sins? Fruit of the Holy bring, Spirit. Do we keep bringing them up? No. Fruit <laughs> of the Holy Spirit from their person mm -hmm. and the realization from our part that something really happened. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with those sins? Do we keep bringing them up? No. What do we do? What are we supposed they're, to do? They're gone. They're gone. From God's perspective, what about us? How do we how do we deal with that? We save it every on the corner of us. Every time they every time they come to remind me, go wait a second. They've been forgiven, and we need to uh, give mercy. Right. That's what I think the, the passage is talking right. about. Covering them all too. We don't keep bringing them up. You ever been in a fight with a with a spouse? I know none of us have ever done that. <laughs> and one of you decides you're going to bring something up that was a long time ago. Or short. Well, I've never heard that. I'm sure you've you, oh. it, it's never happened to you personally, right? Your wife's never brought up something you did no, a long no, time ago. No, no, never. She would never do that. Yeah, and you've never done it either, right? I don't have the coordinates on the backyard where I put it. <laughs> I get struck down for lying. <laughs> yeah, I know. Coordinates where you buried the body. So, so the issue I really is, appreciate that, but really appreciate that, Val. The wife just came down for a cup of coffee. Oh, <laughs> okay, not a problem, man. Just trying to help. Just yeah, trying to help. Might, might help you. It, it, so yeah, well, is when we've forgiven someone, we don't bring it up again. If you keep bringing it up, I'm not sure you've forgiven them. Oh yeah, uh, I, I had a talk with a brother about something, and he, he made sense to know more details and said, okay, it can be forgiven. Why should I bring it up again and again and again and again and again? Uh, who benefits? Yeah. Nobody. So I think when we get to the end of this, there, I think James here places us with two huge responsibilities. Teach and practice a biblical model for the Christian community. And then we need to balance our discipline with mercy. Are we told to discipline people scripturally? Yeah. And within the church, yes, we are. But what are we supposed to do? Provide mercy. And here's the tension. The tension is how do you do that? How do you do both? Matthew 18 is one of those passages where it talks about if someone has ought against you, you're supposed to go and make it right. And if you, if it doesn't happen, according to Matthew 18, 17, it says we're to, to go to the community and put them out of the community. We're supposed to treat them as though they're a sinner, as though they're a pagan or a tax collector. What does that mean, we put them out of the community? Do we shun them? Is that what it means? That's what a lot of, that's what some uh, parts of our Christianity practice, they practice shunning. Is that what we're supposed to do? 
to shun them? Did Jesus shun the sinner? He went looking for them. Okay, so what was Jesus attempting to do for with sinners? Give them Get them right. Bring them, Bring them back. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Yeah. So if Jesus says to treat somebody like they're a pagan or a tax collector, he's saying they're no longer part of, the, in essence, the part of the church. What are we supposed to do with them? We're not supposed to shun them. We're supposed, they're supposed to be high up on our list of missionary efforts to bring them back into the fold. Is that because they're broken and not part of the community and you need to fix them to bring them back into the community? Is that what you're getting yeah. at? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I think it's a struggle. We can, um, he'll tell us to forgive sins, but it's hard for us to forget. Yes. You know, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I love the fact that the scripture talks about when God forgives, it says he puts the sin uh, behind him. So every time he turns around, it's still behind him. He says he puts it as far as the east is from the west. Can the east and the west ever touch? Nope. <laughs> no. No. Now that's hard for us to do. I know that. It's, you know, in, in verse 7, Matthew 18, it says, verse 17 through 19, it says, if he refuses, in other words, if this person refuses to do what's right and get themselves right, you, you've gone to them per personally, then you've gone to them with somebody else as a witness, and then you bring them before the, the church leadership, and it says, if they refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever is bound, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, or whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. The idea that here is forgiveness must be offered, but it must be balanced with the fact that the person must have faith and be that faith needs to be active and needs that faith needs to capture our minds our hearts and our bodies and that's that's hard to live out it's easy for us as a church to fall victim to if you will the siren song of lay of, of just letting everyone get along i just want to love everybody but we're told to speak the truth in love, and love is important, but truth is just as important. Far too often, Christians, the church acts kind of like a chameleon. Uh, they want to adapt their moral vision to fit that of the surrounding uh, culture. I, I think that's what this woman in, in Finland was doing. She was speaking out against the Lutheran church. Her husband is, a past, is, a, is a, one of the pastors in the church. And uh, she was against what they were doing with the, the way that they were the way they were accepting the LGBTQ community. Now, doesn't mean we shouldn't love them. Doesn't mean we shouldn't allow them to be a part of a uh, to 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 come into our church and worship with us. But with the idea of them being of learning what it is that God wants them to be, and and finding out that God says, "I want you to be." Uh, a particular way and all sin is just as guilty makes us just as guilty before God as anything else just because we find a particular sin 
offensive to us does not mean that God does not find our sins offensive. Remember, our tendency is to say that the sins we don't commit are really black. And the sins we do commit might be gray or maybe even a pale white, you know, because they're sins that we do. But God says all sin is just as equal. And all sin is, means that we are guilty of separation from him, which is kind of tough. So we need to commit ourselves to this. We need to commit ourselves to scripture as our guide and not to the social consciousness that often happens in our communities. You know, we need to be very careful about that. Scripture should be our guide. We shouldn't allow society to be our guide to what is important and what we need to stand for. Um, there's a, a, a gal by the name of Hannah Moore. She has this quote. If we contrive to, to make revenge itself look like religion, we call down thunder on many uh, on many ahead under the pretense of those to, on whom we invoke it are God's enemies, when perhaps we invoke it because they're ours. In other words, often we tend to get really righteous about somebody else's sin. We want to call down, you know, like, like James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy this village because they won't accept you? And he goes, you got it all wrong. You know, I'm going to start calling you the sons of thunder, but that's not what we're here for. So remember, just because we find somebody that we don't like uh, and we want them to be persecuted or punished, remember, they're not necessarily God's enemies just because they're ours. We need to be more concerned about what God thinks versus about what we think. So just say this. We need to recognize sin and to forgive the sinner with a warm welcome when they uh, forget when they've asked for forgiveness. Don't excuse sin as a harmless quirk or a, or a crazy lifestyle. Um, we, when we do that, we deny the seriousness of the offense and the responsibility of the offender to make things right. That's tough. Because we're asked, for, we're asked to be both righteous and merciful at the same time. But here's the trick. We're supposed to be like God. And God is both righteous and merciful. He's holy and forgiving. James calls us to be to moral purity and, to, and, and also to maintain a heart of forgiveness. To follow Jesus, uh, George Card says this, uh, to follow Jesus or to follow his example turns out to be as popular tradition as hell, the higher road, that particular morality which the gospel imposes on Christians. But such morality does not consist in conformity to any stereotypical pattern. It consists rather in learning from Jesus an attitude of mind which comprises sensitivity to the presence of God and to the will of God which is the only authority, a constant submission of personal interest to, to the pursuit of that will in the well-being of others and the confidence that whatever the immediate consequences may appear to be, the outcome can safely be left in God's hands. Sometimes 
when we deal with issues, we've got to leave the outcome in God's hands. Sometimes God's timing isn't ours. I'm reminded of, uh, of uh, I think it's in First Timothy or Second Timothy, where it says that uh, when you bring a charge against an elder, you need to have it with witnesses, not just one person. You have to have at least two. And then it goes on to say that sometimes their sin precedes them to the judgment, and sometimes their sin follows them. Sometimes it gets out in the open. Other times it doesn't happen until they stand before God and everything's laid bare. All right, so that's the, that's the end of, the, uh, of this particular thing. We want to take a look at our emphasis on spiritual maturity. I won't ask you how you graded on these 12 questions. I'll just say this at the end. Don't, don't grow up. Just, don't grow old. Just grow up. So here's the, here's the question. Am I becoming more and more patient in the testings of life? Or do I become less patient? It's a tough one. Sometimes I'm really patient. And other times I'm very impatient. Trying to learn to be more patient. There have been times when I've said to my wife, okay, I've been patient enough. Can I can I get upset now? <laughs> well, to sort of connect that that question mm -hmm. with the uh, other uh, spousal issue you brought up, and in a very interesting time for me personally, she was in the room. Um, she was the one who brought things up. It wasn't me, and I was very patient. I didn't lash out. Did, did you have to put band-aids on your tongue? Not speaking and biting it? Well, no, no. I, I just. Well, then you're. you're, I, you're just immediate, this is I just immediately go to God and say, okay, well, th this is your daughter again. Yep. That's good. You can put a check mark against that one. That's good. Yeah. There's some love involved there, too. Yeah. Do I play with temptations or, do, or resist it from the start? Do I just, you know, dangle my feet in the water a little bit? Do I just, you know, get as close as I possibly can? When I was younger, I used to, I used to enjoy walking on the edge of the cliff, you know. Now as I'm getting older, I have a problem with, with uh, balance. I found that I, I don't spend as much time on the edge of the cliff anymore. I find safety in being up against the wall. And that's the truth with when it comes to, to temptation, we need to resist it from the very start, not play with it in our mind. Do I find joy in obeying the word of God or do I merely study it and learn it? Do I apply it? It's one thing to study. One thing to learn. I, I love to learn. I love to study. I, I had a problem with the word joy. Ah, okay. I'm okay with trying to obey, but the joyfulness is just <laughs> just you, you. You're like the little kid. I I might be. You know, when they're told to sit down in the car, right back before we had to put them in seat belts and car seats. And the little kid says, I might be sitting down on the inside or on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. You know, it's like Jonah. 
okay, fine, I'll go to Nineveh. But I'm not happy about it. That's true. I, I think all of us struggle with joy, being joyful and being obedient to God. Learning to wait on the Lord and learning to realize that the waiting is part of the process. And with that comes, comes ultimate a, re a reward that's kind of tough sometimes to wait for. We all want instant gratification, don't we? I want to be mature and I want it right now. I want to be patient. I want it right now. As we get mature, I think it's hard to define joy. As a kid, it was easy, right? No, I don't know. How do you, you what? So, so how, why is it hard to define what joy is? I think there are too many choices. Too many choices for joy or too many choices of, that are, lead you away from it? Yes. <laughs> okay, you're being a good man. Yeah. I'm getting you back. Yeah. yeah I. <laughs> okay, I had joy right there. That was nice. <laughs> I did see that. Yeah. It brought a smile to your face. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard. It's hard. To, it's hard to realize that God wants us to be to take joy in our obedience to Him. I don't mind being obedient. I just you know. Sometimes I do it grudgingly. Well, that's because of the difference between a lot of people confuse happiness with joy and joy is internal. Happiness is external. And when you trust in God, uh, you can experience his joy that he wants for you and his peace, uh, despite your circumstances, your external mm -hmm. circumstances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think people experience it, but they forget it. This is the thing that came to mind with my heart is that when you first give your heart to Christ, there's a joy in that, in that event. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and what happens is that we, we, that's the joy we're looking for. Okay. It's yeah. just a matter of getting to that point. Good, good. So are there any prejudices that shackle me? Oh. I'm going to ask you for you to reveal them. The guide says we need to not be prejudiced. Am I able to control my tongue? Ask your I, wife. I, go ahead, Larry. I said ask your wife. Ask my wife. Yeah, she'd tell, she'd tell you no. Uh, I find that five and six are my tough things. Five and six. Five and six. Control my tongue and be a troublemaker. In other words, I love to, I've always loved tossing the grenade into the midst of the room. <laughs> You're not the only one. And, and yet I, I find that sometimes it's better not to, or if you do, just make sure it has a very long fuse. Just saying, just. <laughs> so you're admitting you're a terrorist? Uh, spiritual terrorist at times. <laughs> but now here, I got to throw this in. You, you threw the grenade in the room. Just to show you how, this, how the schools change, 
my friend, Mark Kapczynski, when I was in 11th or 12th grade, back in 1983, 84, he opened up, he had a fake grenade, a real looking grenade from Vietnam, the pineapple grenade. It was, it was a dud, of course, but uh, Mr. Matthews was great in papers. Sorry to throw this in there, but he says, hey, Mr. Matthews. And he looked up and Mark rolled the grenade, the pin popped out and Mr. Matthews jumped up and Mark shut the door. And then he walked in and said, ah, just kidding. And uh, he picked it up and left. But that was 1983. Yeah, just that, show, show you how times have changed. He'd be yeah, in that prison. Wouldn't go, that wouldn't go over today in a school. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So he actually did throw the grenade into the room. <laughs> okay, so, sorry. But do people come for me for spiritual wisdom? Well, I, I thought I was the youngest person here, Larry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Why? How old are you? I graduated in 79. 79? Okay, old man. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, now it matters is that you're healthy. There you go. That's a good answer. So am I a friend of God or a friend of the world? Ask God. I did a, uh, a series years ago at one church, and it was called My BFFs. Or you know, it was God's BFFs, who, who are God's best friends forever, and uh, you know, it was like Abraham and David, and you know, it was, but you know, the, the question is, are we friend, more? Are we friends with God? Because it's one of those. This is one of those instances where you can't be a friend of both. Yeah, you, ha you have to choose who's going to be your friend: the world or God. And, and and do I make plans without considering the will of God? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're obedient. You know, we always need to make sure we, when we make plans, we say, as long as this is God's will. That's why, that's why I'm asking God, your will be done in this matter. I just want your will. That's more important than what I want. Because ultimately, I need to want what God wants. So since I don't know, I'm going to leave it in God's hands. Um, am I selfish when it comes to money? Am, am I unfaithful in paying my bills? How far behind are you on your bills? You don't have to tell me. That's okay. <laughs> Do I naturally depend on prayer when I find myself in some kind of trouble? Or is it the last thing I do? Do I naturally depend? Do I just immediately go and say, okay, God, Let's pray about this. We need your will. Am I the kind of person others seek for prayer support? And then lastly, what is my attitude towards a wandering brother? Do I criticize and gossip or do I seek to restore him in love? Yeah, there's a lot in there that I'm doing well on some of those, and some of those I'm not doing so well on, you know? God wants us to be willing to be obedient, and again, doesn't want us just to grow old. God's desire in the book of James is for us to grow up. So, that I, 
I thank God for grace. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs>